Don't y'all love the body of Christ? Amen. Amen. Well, I, God's, I believe he has a word for us today. Courtney, you're going to give me your microphone? Okay, thank you. Where'd Courtney go? Hi, Courtney. I'm going to put it right here in the middle of the roses. No. Oh, wow. How many moms do we have this morning? I know some of you came a little late. If you came in a little late, I want you to know you get a rose, even if you were late. You don't get the one you want. You get the other color. But uh, these are awesome, aren't they? I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen a purple rose. Sterling? Okay. Gorgeous. How many, how many of you would like to guess how many roses are in one bouquet? Anybody have a guess? Raise your hand. Okay, I see. Um, how many? Well, you're the winner. You get a... 125, so you get a free rose. <laughs> yes, ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, what if we had a bouquet in the back you didn't know about, Sid? But you, all right, you are a good listener. All right, awesome. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're still in Acts chapter 1. And I am, man, as we get closer to uh, Pentecost Sunday... I want to I want to tell you something while you're looking at Acts chapter one. This Wednesday night is going to be very very special. We had a great crowd last Wednesday night. This win, this month of May we're calling Wonderful Wednesdays, and this one's going to be particularly wonderful because it's going to be called a night of worship, one accord, uh, a, a night of one accord. We're going to come together. We're going to have a meal at five thirty or six. Whenever you get here, we're going to have a, an awesome meal uh, that's going to be prepared. We're going to have fellowship together, just like. They did in the Bible, the beginning church, they fellowshiped together, they broke bread together, they got and they broke the word together and opened the word together and they prayed for one another and they were in one accord. So Wednesday night, it's almost 10 days from that Wednesday to Pentecost Sunday. Actually, the 10 days would start on the next day. So we're going to preempt that by one day and we're going to have our upper room experience, our coming together as a church body to pray. Because listen... Uh, if you were here Wednesday night, I began a series, because, or, or I was going to teach a couple of weeks on it, um, the uh, autopsy of a deceased church. Churches that are dying in America, and right now, according to the research this one man, Tom Rainier, did, and then when he wrote this book, he's a, he's a church, uh, he, and I, he analyzes churches, but he says that right now in America, there are 100,000 churches that are on their deathbed, they're dying. They're on hospice care, so to speak. They're on, they're on life support systems. Uh, over 100,000 churches. Can you imagine that? And he gives 12 things, 12 characteristics that are common among tw- these churches that are dying or the ones that have already died that he, that he actually knows of. He studied 14 churches that have actually shut their doors. But one of the things, one of the missing ingredients, one of the main ingredients that was missing in a dying church was prayer. It's prayer. You know, we become so program-oriented and we, so, we become so worship-focused even and we become so uh, focused on people, churches that become inward. They don't focus on the outside and what they can do in their community and how they can help other people. That prayer, and, but, and they lose their, their, their vision. All these things come into, come into effect to bring about a dying church. But one of the main things is they quit praying. They quit praying individually. They quit praying in their closet. They quit praying corporately. And I am so thankful that we have a church that believes in prayer. 
I am so thankful that we have an intercessor team that many of this city that don't even attend here know about our intercessors. And they get phone calls and they say, can we come? Can you pray for us? Can you anoint us? Can you anoint a piece of cloth and you mail it to somebody? They, they just want prayer. And listen, our intercessors are on the wall watching. And in our staff, we come together every week and we pray. We have pre people that pray before the morning, this morning service. There will be a group that comes in while we're still meeting here. They will come in and they'll be in the prayer room praying for the 11 o'clock service. We have people that pray in this church. We have prayer warriors in this church. People that I know of that email me, that text me, that call me and say, Pastor, we're praying, Facebooking me. And we have people that are praying constantly in this church body. And listen, if we ever lose that idea, if we ever lose that, that within us that we need to call out to God, listen, we'll become a dying church. We have, team, we have a team, Jimmy and Martha, that go all over the state and pray for this state, pray for this country, pray for churches in this, in, in this, in this state. And there are prayer warriors. And so I am so thankful that God has placed people of prayer in this body because we need to stay connected to God through prayer. Amen. So listen, I want to I wanna just do three verses today. And I want us to see something that was so dynamic in the beginning of the first church. Then they, the disciples, verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. When they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Now remember, Judas Iscariot, was dead by this time. He had already committed suicide. So it was the 11. These all continued with one accord. Say, with one accord. With one accord. In prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I thought it was appropriate. I didn't plan it that way, but the mother of Jesus was at that first prayer meeting. And we were talking about honoring our mothers today. And here was the mother of Jesus who had just gone through some of the most traumatic times that any mother could ever go through. You know what I'm saying? Saw her son rejected, beaten, whipped, crucified, uh, all those things that were done to him, watched him hanging on a cross. And then if that was not traumatic enough, then him to come back to life. And then all of those things that took place and that the, the angel had spoken to her, that the Lord had spoken to her, were coming, coming to pass in her life. And here she was. She had not abandoned the group. She was there with the rest of the disciples. I think she was probably kind of the mother to the disciples. You know what I'm saying? She was there, and they were saying, Mary, come on. And Mary said, no, y'all come on with me. We're going to the upper room. And, and the women were there. Many of the women that were there were the women that came at the tomb to take care of Jesus, possibly. Many of the women there were possibly wives of the disciples. But there were, there were over 120 people, men and women, gathered together in the upper room. And they were doing something that was instrumental in the beginning of what we call the New Testament church. Now, there's some steps I want us to go through. And if you want to take notes, you're welcome to do that. But, but today, I want us to begin with this. The first thing that they did that you'll notice here, and it goes along with prayer, is they were obedient. I preach on obedience all the time, don't I? Obe- say obedient. obedient. They disciples returned to Jerusalem, verse 12, from the Mount of Olivet, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. In Acts 1, 4, Jesus told them to what? Stay in Jerusalem and then Wait. And they did exactly what Jesus said for them to do. They didn't hear the sermon and go back home and do whatever they wanted to do. They didn't hear what Jesus' instructions were and go, well, that sounds good, but we'll find out. We'll figure out something else to do. 
Now, son, a lot of people, they'll hear a sermon, and it'll prick their heart, and they'll, man, I really need that. I really needed that today. But usually, you know what you do? You think, man, she really needed that today. Oh, man, he really needed that today. And God's directing the word to you, and he wants the word to come in and change you. And so they were, they were obedient to the commands of Jesus Christ. Listen, if they weren't obedient in the first thing, nothing else would have happened. What if they were just left? And they, but they were obedient to go and meet in this upper room. And it was a Sabbath day journey. Listen, it wasn't a very long journey. A Sabbath day journey for them was not very far. It was not very far in, within the city for them to go to this upper room. Listen, when God calls you to do something, sometimes the journey is very short. Sometimes it's very long, right? And God's always calling us and directing us day by day what we're supposed to do. He's calling us, and he lays out a, a plan for us. Now, listen, sometimes he's very specific. How many of you like it when God's specific? He said, listen, do not leave Jerusalem. Go and wait. Don't wait. Don't leave until you get the promise. Don't leave until you get the Holy Spirit. But listen, I love, I love this one verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, where the, where the writer of Hebrews said, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, and I love this part, not knowing where he was going. See, sometimes God is not very specific. He wants you to be led by his spirit one day at a time, one moment at a time, one hour at a time. You know what I'm talking about? So sometimes he says, this is what I want you to do right now. Go pray for that person right now. But then sometimes he says, listen, I want you. This is what I've got for you. I want you to go here and you don't know why you're going there. But Abraham went when he didn't know where he was going. That is faith. That's why Abraham made the top 10 in the hall of faith. Because he was, he was like, okay, God, where do you want? And listen, it wasn't just Abraham. He had a whole bunch of people and a lot of animals. And, man, it was, a, it was an entourage. It was huge. And when God said, I want you to take them and go. And he said, okay. All right. Yeah. Where? <laughs> I'll tell you. So first thing is we need to be obedient. If we're going to move to the second part, we ought to do the first part. We've got to obey. Amen? Second thing is to be obedient together. Say obedient together. When they had entered, verse 13, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And there were about 120 people, the Bible says in Acts 1, verse 15. So when people ask you that question, how many people are in the upper room, don't say 120. Say 120 or so. Then you'll be correct, Okay. This included all the disciples, Mary, and all, all these other people that had come together, and they had uh, understood that it was important for them to be together. Now, the reason I say that is because, and you've heard me say this before, and I think it was Max Lucado the first time I read it in the book, and it kind of made me start thinking. It could have been another, another writer, but I remember when he, the, the writer of a book that I was reading said, you know, the Bible says that over 500 people saw his appearing. They saw him after he was resurrected, Right? You understand that? Over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ, and only 120 or so made it to the upper room. So do the math. How many is that that didn't go? 380 or so. 380 or so. I'm thinking, man, they missed something incredible. They missed something Huge. They missed the beginning of the church as we know it today. And I don't know what their reasons were. I don't know what their excuses were, but they did not show up. 
And we were called, we were called to the courthouse lawn on Thursday for the National Day of Prayer. And only 120 or so showed up. And there might have been more. And I've got to say as a pastor, I was so blessed because most of the people were from here. And it's not something to be puffed up and proud about. I was blessed by it, but I was also saddened by the fact that there weren't thousands of people at the courthouse lawn. It's the national day of prayer. It's not the national day of prayer for non-denominationals. It's the the national day of prayer for Christians to unite. And Mary Lou and I were thinking, where is everybody? I had people coming up. Where is everybody? Where are all the pastors? And I said, listen, I I can't answer for everybody else. Maybe some of them had great reasons. Some of them had to work. Some of them were out. I don't know. Everybody has a reason. But a lot of people just don't show up because maybe, just maybe, this is what Mary Lou and I were just talking about it. Maybe they don't understand the value of prayer. Maybe they've forgotten how important it is for us to corporately come together and pray. Maybe they've forgotten. Maybe they've just forgotten how bad it is getting in our country. Maybe they are not aware of how bad it is in America. That the church has just become quiet in a time when we need to step up and say, God, we need you. We repent. Father, forgive us. Restore our land. Heal our land. We're in a place, guys, that we can't play Christian anymore. We're in a place where we can't just do our own thing anymore. And I'm not here to chastise all those other people. I'm here to say, why? Why, why, why? Because God wants his people to come together as one. As one. As one. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Many of you know the scripture. And a lot of preachers quote it because they want people to fill up their churches. But I want to tell you there's a reason that Hebrews has this scripture in there. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Say together. As is the manner of some. Hmm. But exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day when he comes back, his approaching. He said, we need each other. And the 120 said, we need each other. Jesus has called us to be together. He's called us to be in one accord. And God's called us as a church body not to be on an island. We are not an island church. We are part of something so huge. But we, we need to be part of that, the, that kindling that catches others on fire. You know people from many different churches that just needed maybe you, maybe just you, to Facebook them on that Wednesday and say, listen, I want to be at the courthouse. Can I come pick you up? We're going to pray for our country. Some of us have got to take it more seriously, the place that we're in and the place in the, and that God's placed us to be in to draw others to him. Amen? You know, it's funny. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I want you to go to the upper room. John, I want you to go to the upper room. No, he said, all of you guys, all of you that have followed me to this far, all of you that have followed me to the mountain before I've ascended, all of you 120 or so, I want you to wait here for the promise. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise. And 120 or so people were unbelievably, miraculously blessed because they obeyed and they obeyed together. Amen. The third thing I want us to see is that they were obedient together in one accord. 
Now, Jeff, I want you to come up. You cannot leave right now, brother. I don't. I know you're leaving, but you better get back up here. Look at verse 14. These all continued with one accord. Say, with one accord. In prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, the phrase one accord is mentioned several times in Scripture. Did you know it can be a negative as well as a positive? With one accord, they would attack. They would went after the, the disciples in one accord. They would go, and, and there were many times one accord was in, in a negative way. They would go after something that was evil, but they were all in the same mindset. But listen, we, I want you to see this morning that with one accord is really a positive statement. It's mentioned ten times just in the book of Acts, the, the, word, the, the phrase one accord. And it's, and it's a beautiful word in the Greek. And I'm going to attempt to say it in the Greek the way it's supposed to be pronounced, okay? So have a little grace this morning. It's three words. It's with one accord. The one word in the Greek is this. Hamathumadon. Say hamathumadon. Hamathumadon. You got to put a thu. You have the accent on the thu. Hamathumadon. That's a Greek word. That means that's the same in our English as one, with one accord. And I want you to understand what the meaning. And I've shared this before. I shared it a little bit last week. Uh, the, the true meaning, when you get to the root words, it means to rush along and in unison. But the image is almost a musical image. A number of notes are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. And I was thinking as I was reading this in my lexicon or whatever that thing is that I read it in, when I was reading it and, and I was getting the definition of it, I got to thinking, it's talking about music. It's talking about music here, musical, a harmony. And then I thought, well, there's an instrument named after that. It's called the accordion. Think about it. It's a wind instrument. Really, Holy Spirit, wind. He's taught, the accordion is many different keys. It, it, takes a, it takes a very, I started to get, I, I looked on YouTube with some people that play the, the accordion like you would not believe. It sounds like the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. One, one instrument. But they're using it. They have to squeeze it back and forth to get the air going at just the right so they can get the right sound. And then their fingers are, you know, it's all over the place. And then making this beautiful sound. And I'm thinking, the accordion, yeah. We are in one accord. We're supposed to make beautiful music. And I wanted Jeff to just show you what a stringed instrument sounds like. That's really, just, just play us one, just strum us. A, a, just, I want to hear the beautiful notes that you're going to play for us. Oh, that hurt. Oh, that's not, no, uh-uh, stop, stop, stop. He didn't do that. He did that on purpose. He's out of tune. Guess what? When God calls us to be with one accord, he calls us to be in tune. Now, ah, yeah, that's better. How many strings were out of tune then? Three. Do one, to, one, one string out, way out of, way, way it just, crank one of them off. Oh, see? Just one. Just one out of whack, out of sync, out of tune, messes up the whole sound, right? But when it's tuned properly, when we are tuned together, here's, here's what happened in the upper room. They were in one or with one accord. They were together in their thoughts. They were together in their purpose. They were together in their obedience. They were together in one accord, making this beautiful music of prayer. 
And you know, many times when you're singing out here, out here and, and we back off of the mics, I love to do that. Uh, and I hear the sound. And you, you know what you're doing? You're worshiping, but in your worship, you're praying. Our Father. It, y'all were praying this morning, but you were singing your prayer. You were in tune. And when we're in tune, God moves in spectacular ways. But he wants us. Listen, why it's so important for us to be together with one accord? Why it's so important in that Hebrews verse that I talked about, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together? It's because he says in that scripture, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And to exhort one another and encourage. See if you've got somebody that's out of tune, and I'm not talking about that they sing out of tune, but they're out of tune in their walk with God. They're out of tune in, in, in how they're responding to situations and circumstances in their life. Listen, we can either point our finger at them and, and make fun of them and criticize them, or we can come alongside them and encourage them and bring them in, bring them close, and bring them to be in tune with the Word of God. Bring, bring, bring them to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Are y'all getting this this morning? He's called us to be with one accord. He wants us to be one sound this morning. He wants us to be in unity. And then I was reading in a little devotional book, and I don't read in the message very often, but this devotional book is all in the message. How many of you read the message? You know, sometimes it just, it's just so much more graphically expressive than, than the other scriptures. But I was reading this in, in uh, Colossians 3.15 in the message. It says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. None of this going off and do, listen, we are not an island. Listen, individuals that get away from the body, listen, that's, they're going to get attacked and devoured. Just like a, a little lamb that would get away from the sheep, all the rest of the herd of the sheep, get away from the shepherd. Listen, the, the, the wolves are going to come and devour that sheep, aren't they? Because they're not protected. They're not with one accord. They're, not, they're off doing their own thing. They're off thinking their own thing. And, and that's, when we're, that's when we're susceptible, listen, to the enemy. So it's important. Listen, we don't just have church so we can have church. We come together as a body. Listen, church is you. But when we come together corporately, we're the assembly. I, that's where they get the, the word, the assembly of God, the church, the assembly of God. They're assembling God's people together. We're put together. Some of us look like ears. Some of us are mouths. Some of us are noses. Some of us are legs. Some of us are feet. We all look different. We all have different gifts. But God's assembling us together this morning. Not many of you look the same except the moms and, and daughters, you know, and dads and sons. And a lot of you look so different than the person sitting next to you. But you're here together. We're in one accord. We're praising God. And God's doing some miraculous things. But he wants to do that on a grand scale. Not just with a few, but with many. Obedient together in one accord in prayer. Say in prayer. Now, prayer... To me, and, and even on the courthouse line, 120 people, that was beautiful. I, I wish there was thousands. I, I do, but uh, even Jeff got up and said, I want you to understand, don't be discouraged because of the numbers here because there was only 120 in the upper room. They changed the world, right? And, and so we weren't discouraged, but you just wonder why. You want more people to get involved and be a part of something beautiful. But they all continued with one accord in prayer, specifically in prayer. John Wesley said this about prayer. God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. 
E.M. Bounds said, prayer is not learned in the classroom, but in the closet. Mm. Andrew Murray said, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. I'm thankful for our prayer, for the prayer life of this church, but it could be better. Y'all believe that? I believe that. I believe, I believe Wednesday night's going to be a starting point, Mary Lou, just for us to come together to seek God's face. And I'm, listen, I'm going to ask you, and some of you may not come Wednesday night because I'm saying this other word, this other four-letter word, fast. But I'm going to add, I believe the Lord's called us to prayer and to fasting. And I want to I'm going to ask you to begin to pray today what God would have you fast from beginning next Thursday, the 10 days leading up to Pentecost. Listen, fasting is to give up something that means a lot to you, that, that's important to you so you can focus on God. If you just fast fast, you miss the whole point. Because I, I have fasted before and all I thought about was eating food. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, I'm so hungry. And I wasn't thinking about praying. I was praying, Lord, get this fast over with so I can eat. We, we can fast for the wrong reasons, church. But when we do fast and God shows you how to fast and it can be a multiple of uh, different things, it can be something that really is important to you that God says, I want you to lay that down for 10 days. I want you to seek my face when that time period comes that you would normally do that. I want you to get the word out. I want you to watch a Christian DVD or a teaching. I want you to pray. I want you to get on, put some praise and worship on. I want you to go serve somewhere. And get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes on others. Get your eyes on Christ for 10 days. And I believe that the day of Pentecost, when we celebrate it on May the 24th, there's going to be an eruption. There's going to be an explosion of new life in this body. Amen? Woo! It's going to be good. I, I love this story. And, and I'm not a storyteller. I, I know some, some pastors are written. Randy's a great storyteller. But I was, I, was, I was looking at the subject of prayer. And there was these five college students, and they had gone to this church where uh, Charles Spurgeon was the, was the pastor, and a very famous pastor, you know. How many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon? And, and they, they were going to this place. He was a pastor and, and preacher in London, very famous, and many people quote him, uh, just a great man of God. And, but there were five college students. They had the weekend off, and they said, you know what? We want to go to that church where Charles Spurgeon preaches. So they went up to the door. And they'd gotten there early, and this man greets them at the door, and they were just saying, well, we're here. We want to we wanna come to the church here. And he said, that's great. He said, I would, like, would you like to see where, we, where, the, where the church is heated, the heating plant for the church? And they're like, well, this old man, uh, I don't know. We, we don't want to offend him. But sure, we'll go see where the heating plant is, where, where you heat this building at. So he takes them downstairs, and he opens the door. He cracks the door open, and there, he said, he, they look in there. There are 700 People praying. 700 people in the basement. And they're praying. He said, these men, these women are down here praying for what's going to take place on the second floor on the, on, in the sanctuary when we begin our service. He said, that's where the church is heated. <laughs> they didn't know who was talking to them, but it was Charles Spurgeon. He said, this is where it takes place. The church has got to get back to that. We've got to get back to people on our knees. Not just moms, but dads and children. People of faith. 
that believe that prayer moves and changes things. More than anything, it doesn't change God. God doesn't change. It changes us. Obedient together in one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, that word supplication, a lot of people go, well, what's the difference between prayer and supplication? Philippians 4, 6 through 7, one of my favorite scriptures. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Say supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known, be made known to God. And the peace that pass, of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, he's talking about supplication, not just prayer, but he says prayer and supplication, just as they said in Acts chapter 1, prayer and supplication. Now, my Bible, I have a study Bible. I love it. And if you don't have a study Bible, man, get a study Bible. And in my footnotes under supplication, because I've never had a really good definition of supplication. And I believe that uh, Jack Hayford really nails it, the, the, the definition. He says, supplication is more than petitioning. It suggests an intensity of earnestness in extended prayer, not to gain merit by many words. See, many people think, well, supplication is I just pray for a long time. That's not it at all. But to fully, listen to me, church, to fully transfer the burden of one's soul into God's hands. It's a transference. It's prayer and peace that are it's closely connected. It's giving something up to God for reals. And that's when the peace of God can come in and fill your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But so many Christians are not at peace because they pray and they pray and they pray and they take it back and they take it back and they hold on to it and they hold on to it. And they say, well, I don't have any peace because they've not given it to God in supplication. We call that praying through. When you get up off the floor, man, there's a burden that's been lifted. You've been giving it to God and you know God's going to do something. And you quit trying to do something. You quit trying to fix things because you've given it to the greatest fixer of all. Pray it through in supplication. That will guard your heart from worry and anxiety. When you pray in supplication and give it to God. And finally, is it 1030? Is it time to quit? I'm trying to think. I just kind of went blank there. Okay. I'm have a drink of water. I got 30 more minutes to go. Might be a little traffic jam out there. That's okay. I guess it's because of the extended worship, which I am not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to apologize for the word either. Obedient together in one accord in prayer and supplication. Listen what happens. When you do those, those things that they did in the upper room, it brings unbelievable, miraculous results. And we're going to get into this on the day of Pentecost, but Acts 2, I'm going to read two scriptures and we'll close. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. After 10 days, they weren't mad at each other. They weren't arguing over if they were supposed to sit or stand or what style of worship they were supposed to participate in in the upper room. How long the prayer should be, how short the prayer should be, if they should pray in tongues or not pray in tongues, how loud or how quiet. There was no discussion, no dissension in the upper room as far as we can tell. They were all together still after 10 days with one accord. They were still in harmony. They were still in unity. Right? And suddenly, say suddenly, 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where, the, where, where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was a miraculous moment in history when the Holy Spirit said, they're with one accord. They're waiting for me. Jesus said he would deliver me. Here I am. Amen. And then you go to Acts 4, 24. So when they heard, listen, this is after all this took place. This church had already had 3,000 people join. All, all of a sudden, Peter and John were in trouble. They've been arrested. They've been accused of things that they weren't. Man, they were, in, they were in trouble and they didn't know what to do with them. They finally said, we can just beat them and release them. They said, don't beat them. Just let them go and just tell them not to speak of Jesus anymore. So they let them go. And John, Peter and, and John returned to all the rest of the disciples and said, so when they heard what they had said, they raised their voices to God with one accord. Listen, they're still in one accord. And Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then verse 31 says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together. Say assembled together. Listen, they were together again. They were staying together where they were the one accord. That place where they were assembled together was shaken. Woo, can you imagine that, Luther? Shaking, the building just shaking. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's another feeling. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Listen, we need to get on the same page. Churches in our city, we need to, we need to begin to understand what we agree upon and become one in Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. We need to come together as one. But it's going to start with you and me. You know your little saying, when a revival starts, it starts with me. It's time for us to pray as a church. It's time for us to get more serious than ever about prayer. And so I'll, I'm encouraging you to be here Wednesday night. Make a way to get here. If, if you have to ask off early from work, ask off. If you think you've got to feed your kids to get here, no, bring them here. Feed, we'll feed them here. I would love to see this place packed out. I have an upper room experience, guys, that we're in one accord, seeking God's face, seeing what he wants to do. Would you stand? No, don't forget, as, as we close this morning, and, and I know we've run over it, but as we close this morning, uh, please, moms, come and get a rose, and don't take them all from one just one place, okay? Let's kind of scatter them out so the second service will still look pretty. And I know many of you have uh, already come for this morning for prayer, so I'm not going to call our ministry team up. Many of you have already received prayer this morning, but if you need prayer, if you need, if maybe the Lord would tell you that I'm, you're supposed to become a part of this church body, come up to the front, and I will stay up here for a while, and uh, I don't have time really to transition much to the next service. So, but I'll be up here, and uh, I, will, I will love to pray with you and speak with you about anything that's going on. Um, in the foyer, uh, we have life group 